Welcome back to How to Sell an Agency, the podcast sharing stories of founders who built and sold agency businesses. I'm your host, Matt Bennett. Nick Boyce sold his paid media agency, Pollinary, just six weeks before we recorded this episode. So it's an interview that really captures the story while it was still fresh in his mind. But Nick's story is an interesting one, not just because we caught it at that moment, but also because he's been so open and candid, talking about a type of deal that people are sometimes less keen to share. It's a very different story from what we heard from Carl in episode one, but it's a type of story that I really want more agency owners to hear, because I think it's not an uncommon one. It's just that press releases often make them sound quite different. I'll let Nick take it from here. Here's Nick Boyce on how to sell an agency. Hi, Nick, and welcome to the How to Sell an Agency podcast. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks so much for joining me today. And I guess importantly, congratulations on the acquisition. Thank you very much. So this is the first ever recording for this podcast, but my plan was actually this is going to be the second one to go out. And the reason I'm doing it in a funny order is this is all very new and fresh to you. So I wanted to pounce on you while it was all fresh in your mind and before you sailed off into the sunset on the the, the, the acquired founders yacht that they hand us all uh, and, uh, so you know so th- thank you i'm sure it's been a busy time it has been but you know it is good to talk about it while it's all front of mind this i know my forgetful nature will mean that all of this is going to be forgotten soon so i'll send you a copy of the recording so <laughs> you have it as a diary so how, how long ago did, did the signatures happen when did it all finalize at the end of last year. So we started talking and once it started to look like there might be a deal to be done, I set a somewhat arbitrary deadline of the end of the calendar year, thinking that was a little bit punchy, but achievable. And it turned out to be quite a squeeze, but we got there. So yeah, from the beginning of January, it's been the new world. Right. Well, it's mid-February now, because who knows how long it will take me to produce this and put it out, but just to give a bit of context. So there we go. Six weeks. Big change. But to me, when I went through that, it was a huge life change at the end of it. How's it been for you just in terms of your own comprehension of it and it all sinking in? Yeah, I think it's sort of been a few different stages. And my circumstances are probably a little bit different to yours in a few pretty material ways. But for me, this last six weeks has been overwhelmingly positive. And I say that not just because my new bosses will be listening, but because the things that I had hoped would happen have happened. And I was also able to set up a role for myself in this, in this newly joined up company that was really where I wanted to be moving to. And so that's been fantastic as well to just move much more firmly into the data side of the business, which is where I wanted to be headed. So overwhelmingly positive. I think there was a period of time, and you and I spoke about this earlier, where I felt a little bit of a sense of loss and mourning for what I had and what that meant for my identity as a business owner. That passed reasonably quickly, but actually it slightly took me by surprise. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Well, you know, you and I have spoken about this before and I've spoken quite publicly about it before. I think for me, that was quite a big one. I hadn't maybe stopped to consider how much my own identity was wrapped up in the company, which looking back is a bit sad. I mean, I think for you, your business ran for a really long time and and your team was larger than mine. And there were all sorts of reasons why that is a perfectly understandable outcome. For me, I wanted for this situation to happen and I wanted some sense of continuity. This was not an exit for me. Mm-hmm. 
And so that has all kind of gone according to plan. So for, for me, the sort of identity stage was a temporary phenomenon. And I think I'm sort of past that now and getting on to doing what's next. That's great news. Probably useful. Tell us a little bit about the agency as was. Sure. So going back a little way just for context, so my background originally is in software development. So I'm a coder and I sort of moved into the world of marketing kind of by accident. I was working within the e-commerce industry and I ended up leading an e-commerce team and and all of the aches and pains that come with doing that. My role oversaw marketing, dev and, and really the whole online retail function Part of that was me buying agency services. And I started to develop a pretty strong opinion about what good looks like. And a lot of the sort of traditional agency ways of working, I found quite painful and annoying and frankly, wasteful. When I then set out to set up my business in May 2018, I was really trying to build an agency that was the type of agency I wanted to buy services from. And that meant dealing directly with experts and not sort of being handed over to to juniors. That was really important to me. And working entrepreneur to entrepreneur. So it was much more consultative than a typical agency set up. That was sort of what I set out to do was sort of build an agency that that was a kind of consultative growth agency with a paid media focus. Almost the picture of the way you describe it, the picture of an agency that would then be very hard for someone else to acquire. A hundred percent. And I kind of set it up to begin with as a sort of, you know, I'm not an agency person. Like I ran a web design agency in the nineties in Australia where I'm from. And that was a sort of accidental business and it's still going actually. I'm just not involved. I needed to find my feet agency wise fairly quickly, but I also just realized what I want is control, minimization of stress, good financial outcomes, but I wasn't looking to get rich. Yeah. So it was largely about control and enjoyment. And so in that sense, it really started off more or less with me running a consultancy with freelancer add-ons. I soon realized, of course, what everyone else realizes when they do that is that you can't grow the business, <laughs> you can't take a holiday, all those sorts of things. So I ended up going a, a little bit more traditional and building out a team. But at its core, it really is a consultative type business with me at the center of it. So it stayed small in large part because of that and my desire to still want to be at the center of things. But our method for growth was really just about getting bigger and bigger deals rather than a larger volume of clients. We just were working with bigger and bigger clients as we went along. Okay, makes sense. So when you say small, what what did the structure and the team look like? So originally, my original plan actually was to build out a team of freelancers and to build it as a zero employee business. I've come to the conclusion that that is possible, although extremely hard. What I ended up doing was bringing on senior media buyers to basically run the ad campaigns that we were running. I haven't actually said what we actually were selling, have I? So (laughs) so we were selling paid media services. So basically with a focus on paid social. So a lot of our effort was really mastery of the Facebook ads platform. And so finding people who were already expert on that platform was my method. And then automating the parts of the job that usually would have gone to a junior into automations. So 
my goal was to try and build basically a senior only team. So I ended up having a few people in the paid media team, and then I ended up building a creative function as well. Um, in order to succeed on social ads, you need to succeed on creative, and that became even more so as time went along. So I decided it was time to make that a first-class citizen and, and built out a team around that. Small teams, mind you, and sort of combination of permanent and freelancers, but that allowed us to basically accomplish a lot with very few heads. So it doesn't sound like you built an agency, you know, particularly with a sale. You weren't building to sell. So when did the mind shift come around? The mind shift came around, first of all, when I realized that if I was clever about it, then a sale might be possible. There was a period about two years ago where I set myself a target of where I wanted to be at sort of revenue wise Mm -hmm. and sort of business, a few big business metrics and a deadline. And I started to look around at what the scenarios would be if I was either on that trajectory or not. And really what I was trying to do was build towards a business that didn't require me as much or that I could potentially step away from at some point. But that was quite a distance from where I was. And so we were growing nicely. And, you know, I started to make some plans for how I was going to map out the organization. But it eventually became clear that really the timeline that I wanted to work to and the growth trajectory were not compatible. Yeah. So I ended up looking at what was then scenario B or C to see like, what could I do in terms of selling this agency. And by selling, I really meant a sort of merger scenario, basically finding a business that had a gap that we fit into nicely. And we would basically bring revenue, talent, process, everything. Okay. So that was a couple of years ago, you said you sort of came up with that. that Just as a potential scenario a couple of years ago, but I did nothing about it for at least a year. Yeah. Did having those scenarios in mind, you you said you did nothing about it. Is that you did nothing in terms of putting the message out there that you were interested or nothing at all? So did it start influencing the way you run the business? Potentially the only thing that I changed, but this is something I I had planned to change anyway, was just to try and become a bit more visible. It's such a classic thing with agencies. When you talk to them, if you talk to the founders or if you see what they actually really do, you're amazed and it's incredible. And you look at their website or their marketing deck and it does (laughs) nothing to communicate that whatsoever. And for me, I wanted to try and overcome that just by having an opinion about things and sharing them on LinkedIn. That probably helped shortcut some of the conversations about who are we working with here and what, what would we be buying. Aside from that, no, it didn't change anything because I was still aiming to build a build the scale of business that I want that I had in mind. Yeah. And either plan A or plan B kind of required the same company at the end of it. Correct, exactly. And and because it was that there was never a exit plan. This is this was more of a merger and leverage the value that we've created plan. And so for that reason, we didn't really need to change that much. Right. Yeah, I think that point on having the profile and being out there more, it was definitely a thing for us. So it was something we actively did, not specifically aiming for an acquisition, but certainly knowing that if nobody knew we were there, it would never be an option. I think that was something yeah. we very actively did. Um, people have to know you're there in order to be interested, don't they? 
Absolutely. So fast forwarding then. So you were acquired by Spin Brands. Tell me a little about them and I guess how you became aware of each other and yeah, so Spin, um, I think they're actually a similar age to what Polinry was. I think, so Polinry was set up in 2018. I think they were a similar kind of time, mm-hmm. um, but they were focused on initially organic social. So basically creating content and managing social media profiles for brands. Um, so that's sort of the other side to the coin is that we were always only performance focused and they initially were only organic focused. We were introduced by my friend Stefan from a a platform called Traction. um, And he knew both Alex, the CEO from Spin and myself. And uh, that introduction really that that made this happen. He made a few other introductions as well. And actually, when I was at that early stage, I talked with a bunch of agencies. And to be honest, I was surprised at the level of interest um, because, mm-hmm. again, we were not a classic acquisition target, but because we were in some ways novel and we were going to be bringing an interesting amount of revenue into the mix for a fairly low risk way. Yeah, there, there was definitely a lot of interest there. But Spin was, from the first conversation, Spin was the most obvious fit. We just, you know, that they're, they're experiencing growing pains in their paid media team because recruitment was one of their biggest obstacles. Like they just wanted the team to grow quicker than it could because they had more yeah. more clients filling the books than they could sort of handle. So that solved that problem as well as introducing new clients, processes, et cetera. So, so, so that introduction that presumably you would put the message out there that you would be interested in conversations around an acquisition beforehand. Mm-hmm. Did you have quite a clear idea of, you know, had you gone through that process of identifying what who an acquirer might be? Because it seems obvious now, looking at Spin, that they're a would be a really good match. Yeah, it, in a way. So, like, I think they had to be big enough for it to make sense commercially. And like, a big part of what I wanted was to know that the things that were a draw on my time as a founder would be a solved problem, but not so big that we would be completely irrelevant, right? So we're not going to walk into a thousand person agency and bring this tiny team with a really novel way of working. It just would not, it wouldn't take. So what do you think they were particularly seeing in Polinary? What what did they want from the acquisition from you? You know, it's interesting now because we, you know, from the very first conversations, and this was much more the case with Alex from Spin than the other conversations I had, I just said, I'm going to be completely open and transparent with you and I expect the same. And that's the way that it went. For them, the thing that made it completely obvious, I wanted the commercials to make sense and to be low risk both sides. I wanted it to be an obvious fit. And I wanted the whole thing to be able to proceed without any obstacles. And I didn't want lawyers to have to get involved any more than necessary. So the things that made it obvious from their side are, one, they were struggling to recruit good media buyers. And we had that. Two, the data systems that we'd built at Polinry and my desire to move much more firmly into that area fit neatly with their needs. So actually, since in the last six weeks, I've set up a new data system there. We've got coming up to a billion data points in that system already. And you know we're going to build something that is going to be properly world-class quite quickly. 
that must be quite exciting. So suddenly, you know, as somebody who likes building these types of systems, presumably the deal comes with more resources to speed that up as well as access to more data. Exactly, exactly. And and just to be able to play out our systems, which I think, you know, I, I really think that Polymer punched above its weight in many categories, but now we get to put that to the test and actually, you know, roll out some of our processes, systems, tech, etc., to a much bigger and deep-pocketed client base, and they're going to have a bigger impact. So, so it was the sort of basically the filling talent gaps and introducing some of our data know-how and uh, to a certain extent some of our tech and processes as well. So it, it even aside from the acquisition part of it, just getting the people was the main thing. Getting the people and the knowledge is the main thing. That is significantly bigger than us. So the revenue that we brought in was helpful, but not the main thing. How long was it then from when the introduction was made to until the deal was completed? Yeah. So we started talking, I believe, in early November, and we had a signed letter of intent in three weeks wow. from our first conversation. I wanted to get to that signed letter of intent so that I could close off the conversations I was having with others. And then from there, it was another five or six weeks. So it was it was a very quick turnaround. And because of the nature of the deal, we were able to move quickly just because the deal was structured in a simple way. And then obviously, the commercials are always sensitive. And I certainly won't press you for any details, but I think there is this perception sometimes that every agency sale is, I don't know, someone turning up with a suitcase full of cash and then the previous founder walking away, which is, let's put it as rare to not the thing at all. Can you sort of shed some light a little bit on kind of realistically what, you know, your your deal felt like, or is it kind of all wrapped completely under NDA? No, I, I can talk in general terms about it for sure. So like, um, so so our agency, so we were doing less than a million pounds a year, right? So for starters, that puts you in, in the in the ballpark, a small business, right? And to to sell that on a multiple of profit would, if you think about selling, say, a half a million pound business on a multiple of profit, depending on what your margin is, I, the deal sizes are, are not big enough to even pay for lawyers' fees and for everyone to, to win in, in a big way. So knowing that, I ended up making uh, a deal that I called Employment Contract Plus, which effectively meant that we could um, 2P over all of the employment contracts and the deal would basically be a signing bonus for me as well as a royalty on business that I bring in past and future. For that reason, then, there is no due diligence necessary because you're not actually buying a lot of assets that there were yeah. some that were they're included but it's largely about bringing the talent across compensating for the value that's brought in addition to that talent and then rewarding the business that is brought in so that was the structure i was going for and that was the reason that we were able to move super quickly you know if it's not the suitcase full of cash uh, model 
what was it you were looking for? It what why why change? Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's funny you should say about the suitcase full of cash thing because that those are the ones that get spoken about the most. But when I when I spoke with people who have bought and sold businesses before and told them the structure of the deal that I was going for, or after the fact, told them after it happened, someone whose opinion I respect a lot said, "Do you know what? That's how mostly it happens. It's just that that is not what." That's not the news that spreads because no one's getting rich. These sort of aqua hire deals are a large part of how businesses yes. move about. As you know, I've spoken to a lot of people going through the sale process over the last year or so, and it is absolutely the norm. Yeah, for sure. And so to answer your question, what what was I looking for? But like I said before, I the trajectory that I wanted to be on, on the timeline that I wanted to be on, it looked as though I couldn't achieve that. And we had a few setbacks that were largely due to VC money drying up and that affecting our clients, which then affected us. And that was fine for us in terms of profitability, but for growth, it just set us back a bit. So for me, what I wanted to be doing was applying the things that we were good at into a larger organization so that we could have a bigger impact. So for me, it wasn't about a big cash lump sum. That would have been nice, but that's really not what this deal was. Yeah. It was largely about making sure that the team and the clients were well taken care of and applying what I think we were doing really well at, at a small scale into a larger scale. And for me to know that the things that are a burden on my energy, such as, you know, new biz, HR, all those sorts of operational things, then that's just a self problem. And, and I could just carve out a role for myself where I could add a ton of value in the style of working that I really wanted to be doing. And that's how it's played out. So, so the question at, at the beginning is how it's going. It's going great because all of those things are happening. How nice to hear. Perfect. How will the team come along for the ride? Yep. Brilliant. Which, so again, job done, objective met. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, an interesting one because, you know, when you merge or acquire you, you're not recruiting each individual member, right? So there is a risk yeah. that, that for either side, it might not be a perfect fit. I think largely it's worked pretty well. The style of working is quite different, but not better or worse. With what you've said about the deal and, and trying to keep things kind of obvious and simple, does that mean there wasn't that idea of kind of back and forth negotiation so much? Were there still quite a lot of details to be hammered out? Um, well, it's always, it's, it's one of those things where you think, okay, maybe I could, could have pushed a bit harder here or I could have uh, compromised a little bit more there. Like I'm a really pragmatic person and I, in, in some ways mm -hmm. I'm not a natural business person because if, if I want something to happen, I'm impatient enough that I would just make it happen. And, and, and the thing that I want to happen is usually an outcome that is not me getting rich. So, <laughs> so I think, yeah, there, were, there are probably things that in retrospect, maybe I could have structured slightly differently, but because the bigger outcome for me was a continuation of service, a new home for the team and clients, and a better outcome for me in, in what, how I wanted to apply my skills, then the finer details of it, frankly, was less important than that bigger one. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And is there a, an element going forward where 
so like, like my deal, there was a very kind of target-based element to kind of the eventual value of it as well. Did that become less of a thing? But again, I guess your, I guess with your structure actually very much is. You've, I guess you still got to ensure that those customers that came with you for the journey are doing well and are profitable for uh, the new parent. And I guess that's all still very front of mind and, and part of what it looks like for you. Early on in the deal, like when we were talking about what Polynry has in terms of assets and revenue, et cetera, we were looking at the client mix that we had and figured out which ones would be a good fit and which ones were still being negotiated, et cetera. When the deal was done, one of the first jobs I had was to communicate that to clients and bring them on board into spin. And that was much easier, actually, than I thought it would be because it is a better situation for them in spin than it was at Polynria. They've got much more support. They've got a much more stable base and they've got access to a whole other side of the business in terms of the content production, uh, social media management, et cetera, that they didn't have before. So it was like for every single client, it was an obvious win for them. So so that's what I mean when I say it's win-win-win is, is like pollen. It was a good situation for Polinary and, and therefore for me, it was a good situation for Spin because they got all this talent and this, the clients aboard and all the processes in tech and the, and the clients themselves got a better deal because they're paying the same amount as they were before, but they get a better level of service because there's, there's more people to service the account and access to additional services. So that actually was, in retrospect, I shouldn't be surprised about how easy it was for all those reasons, but. <laughs> those conversations did slightly make me anxious as I was telling them for the first time. So going forward then, you've obviously landed in a situation that you're very happy with, which is amazing. And, you know, how, how obligated are you going forward? I know a lot of people I talk to, you know, including myself, you know, I, I have a three-year earnout. Are you tied in with certain obligations now? Or if for whatever reason you decided, actually, do you know what, this isn't all I hoped it would be? Are you fairly free to do what you want now? Yeah, fairly free. There's a certain period of time where that would not be in my interest to do, but there is no earn out. So in that sense, if I don't like what's happening, then I can leave. So it's actually, if there's no real lock-in for me because the transaction just w- was an upfront payment at time of, of signing. So there's kind of nothing, nothing locking me in there. And with that in mind, how do you feel about, I guess you, you have a boss again for the first time in, in a while. How's that? It's fine, actually. It wasn't obvious where I would fit into the team in terms of hierarchy. That was one of the things that mm-hmm. took a little bit of figuring out. And because most of the work I'm doing is on the paid media side, but not all of it, it sort of ended up now that I'm a bit of a island in the org chart. and. That I think because I had good chemistry with the CEO right away, I'm happy. Like I just really like him and I think we can learn a lot from each other. So in that sense, it's great. I don't really feel weird about it, to be honest. I mean, there, there are certain things where I started to think, well, I wouldn't have given this a second thought as a business owner, but now maybe I should run this past someone. But it doesn't really factor into my day-to-day too much. I think just because of the level of seniority I've been brought in at, I can largely be left to make decisions that are in the interest of the company. 
So on a practical basis, kind of day to day, week to week, how has doing the deal kind of changed life for you, not the company, but you personally? I guess the biggest way that it's changed life for me is that I need to worry about fewer things now. That's really the biggest outcome for me is I know that things are taken care of well in spin. All the things that were adding to the listed long list of things in my head that I felt like I needed to stay on top of, I just don't need to anymore because there are people that take care of that at spin. So for me, that is a, is a great relief. And because my calendar is clearer now, because I'm not continually trying to run and build a business, I'm actually able to just get on with building out data systems, which is really what I want to be doing now. So my day-to-day is fairly dramatically changed. I would say probably about a third of my working week is the same as it was before. And the rest of the other two thirds are new, but in a good way. And not really not needing to worry about a lot of the messiness of running a business is just a great weight off of my shoulders. So it sounds like you got what you were hoping to get out of the deal and you, you've landed in a really nice position. But if you had a time machine, what would you go back and change? What, is there anything you would do differently? I suppose if I had a time machine and I went back to the very beginning of starting my business, I think I probably would have started to think about how I could build an organization sooner rather than running Nick Boyce and Co masquerading as Pollenry, which is really what it was for the first 18 months. I probably would have started to think sooner about how I was going to build the team and how I was going to not overwhelm myself with being responsible for everything. And I have no regrets. That's just sort of the discovery process that I went through. But I I think like I never was able to get any distance whatsoever from the delivery side of the business. And I think that that led to me not being able to scale and for me not being able to properly take time out of the business, which this is the main benefit of my working week now is that I just don't need to worry as much. And whereas before there was lots to worry about, there's a great irony there, isn't there? I think when we talk to people about, you know, I talk to a lot of people about the, the reasoning behind starting a business. Flexibility and control are always themes that come up and then takes away those things from them as well. I'm, I'm not saying that in a judgmental way because it's certainly what I did. And it took a long time to unpick and get back to a point where I, I actually, you know, I, I can have the life that I want rather than the one that the business is dictating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's definitely a sort of a tension between like, you know, me just wanting to do the work that I'm good at doing and me being able to build a business that happens to do that work. I think the way that I would just shift my mindset if I were to start over would be to like to just distance myself from the business and that I am a separate entity to the business, whereas that just was not the way that it started and it it became very difficult to disentangle myself from that. So I think it may be a mindset thing as much as anyone, anything else as well. I'm aware I'm taking up quite a lot. I could, I could talk all day. And well, everyone knows I could talk all day. But I am aware that we've got an allotted time and I, I am running out of it. I've got two questions to end on then. The first is, why do you think Polynary was able to be acquired when that's something that so few agencies manage to do? Well, I think it ties in with the things we were talking about before. One is what type of exit is it, or is it even an exit at all? 
And in our scenario, it's not an exit, right? But I'm still here. And the deal size was reasonably small. So not trying to, uh, you know, take any wind out of the sails of how happy I am with the entire thing. But to put it in context, the size of the deal and the structure of the deal were important. I think the reason that there was so much interest in companies that might want to do that type of deal with us is that I think we did punch above our weight. And I think we were able to bring a lot of expertise and process that probably belonged in a bigger company rather than a smaller one. So I think that's what made us attractive. But the thing that helped us accelerate and to ultimately close the deal was due to the size and simplicity of the deal structure. I think if I were aiming to fully exit, I wouldn't be talking with you here today. Like it just, yeah, that's just not a possibility for a business of my size. My final question then, would you ever start an agency again? I don't know. I think if I were to do that, I am still interested in this one person business thing, which is what I had accidentally set out to build in the first place. But I think the difference would be that I wouldn't and couldn't be a paid media agency. So maybe I think agency businesses are tough. And I think what I'm interested in a little bit more now is building out software products. There is a bit of a movement towards media agencies spinning out internal products and commercializing them, which I happen to have built a couple of those that I'm interested in exploring the commercial opportunities for. Would I build another agency? Hard to tell. It's not high on my list at the moment, put it that way, Matt. I really appreciate your time, Nick. Thank you so much for talking to me and really openly too. Congratulations again, I think. Great success. It's a really exciting time and I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing how it continues and, you know, how your new role evolves. Thanks so much, man. It's been really fun. It was really generous of Nick to come on and share his story when it was so fresh. So thanks again, Nick, if you're listening. It's been a few months now since we recorded that interview and stalking him on LinkedIn, it looks like he's been involved in some amazing, interesting stuff at Spin Brands. So I'm tempted to uh, make contact at some point and ask if he'll come back and do a short follow-up interview and see how it's gone like a year on or something. We shall see. Stay tuned. If you'd like to learn more about Nick or Spin Brands, there's links in the show notes and at howtosellanagency.com. You'll also find links there to get hold of me if you'd like to. When I'm not indulging myself with podcasts and the like, I mostly work as an agency advisor, lending my skills and experience to agency leaders through mentoring, consultancy, and as a non-exec director. If you enjoyed this episode, then you'll also find a link to get email notifications when new episodes of How to Sell an Agency are released. The nature of this topic means they'll be somewhat intermittent, so getting on that list is the best way to ensure you don't miss a future interview. I hope you will join me again next time on How to Sell an Agency.